0: Welcome to the Green Canary. Today on the show, we're going to drop a bit of a bombshell about the bomb. I'm sure you know what we're talking about there. We are also going to talk about the methane pledge, which looks like it's about to be signed. There's more flood news. We say that every week. But this week, we've got a really interesting take on what is happening in the Murray River and surrounds. We've also got some. Goodish, slowish, almost goodish, I suppose, news on electric vehicles in Australia. We're getting there, sort of. What we're really doing is rewiring Australia. Are we going to talk about the grid? Oh, there is plenty more on the Green Canary this week. Thank you for joining us. I'm Ant Sharwood. And as ever, I am joined by Elfie Scott, who today is the orangest looking person. <laughs> Elfie, talk us through that top.
1: Okay, so thank you so much for noticing, and You're a fantastic co-host in that you always notice when I'm wearing something either new or have a new haircut, so I really oh. appreciate this. But... This is my hydrant orange hoodie. I'm very proud of it. It, it, it comes from the, um, so the National Park Service in the US have this fantastic thing where they sell like genuinely fashionable clothing as their merchandise. I don't know if you've ever looked at this before, but they do like collaborations with National Geographic and they're all based on different national parks around America. It's no, the no. nerdiest merchandise you can buy and it looks sick. So thank you for pointing it out.
0: You look absolutely sick. Uh, that's sick in a good way. Others might say otherwise. But I've just had orange on the brain today, Elfie, because um, look, this is a long and weird tangent and we really should present a podcast here. But let me just say uh, the town of Renmark in South Australia, not Denmark, but Renmark had its wettest ever day on record yesterday. Why is that relevant? Because Renmark is where they grow oranges out along oh, the Murray River.
1: Oh, Wow.
0: Just down the road from Renmark is berry with an I, not berry with a Y like the New South Wales town. You've probably seen berry fruit juice over the years. So oh, that, is that where yeah. it comes from? Yes, it is. And berry was, keyword was, was home to the big orange. The big orange. Yes, one of those <laughs> sad big things. We were just talking about the big banana a couple of weeks ago in Coffs Harbour, weren't we? Yeah,
1: we were. Well, now I am the big orange. Well, it doesn't exist thing. anymore, it's here
0: it's it's not there anymore because it was decommissioned and there are photos of on the internet it's the saddest looking thing you've ever seen in <laughs> your life the former big orange it's still sitting there just unloved and dusty but thankfully Aww. as you say we have a beautiful new big orange and that is you <laughs>
1: Thank you very much. Very, very happy to ascend to this throne. All right. So we will get onto the flooding in just a moment, but let's start out with our first story of the week. Let's talk about the bomb ant. I'm sure because you spend nearly as much time on Twitter as I do that you would have seen what happened earlier this week when there was a bit of a storm around after the Bureau of Meteorology, commonly known as the bomb, announced that they wanted newsrooms to change their language and refer to them as the Bureau instead did you see this when it started happening
0: i saw it as soon as it started happening elfie and look normally i'd be the first to weigh in with a devilishly clever take let's let's be honest there but um (laughs) let's not even be slightly modest no I, i it did make me laugh and it made me cringe in equal amounts um i just want to say for bat I can't say too much because I work, as you know, part time in the rest of the week when I'm not green canarying uh, for a private weather company called WeatherZone. Uh, we're good friends with the bomb, have a lot of mates there, rely to some extent on their data. So I'm not going to be the guy that, that you know, kicks dirt in the face of the bomb this week. But suffice to say, um, it it wasn't necessarily uh, the, the the greatest public relations exercise We've ever seen for two reasons, two key reasons. One, um, look, there were floods on, and you could say that almost any week in the year 2022, but there were floods on. There were severe and extremely serious floods in Victoria. Uh, This was a moment when people relied on the bomb um, for, for, for their data, for their warnings page, which is a fantastic resource. If you've never been to the warnings page on the bomb, it tells you everything you need to know. Often there'll be a warning come through at 3.45 a.m., Elfie. There are some hard-working night owls there. Um, You know, people around the clock put in at the bomb. And I deeply respect the service they provide. It was not the time for them to sort of have this navel-gazing exercise and say, we'd like you to look at us uh, this way. So timing was an issue. The second point I'd make is, Elfie, you've made it in Australian life when you have an abbreviated nickname this this yeah. is the this is the goal of australian life look at macca's i mean they are mcdonald's but they are known as macca's and that is a sign you know for better or worse mostly worse in my opinion but that is a sign that people like them um they even call themselves macca's now in their advertising you know and that is a sign as i say that you have made it in australian life you have achieved abbreviation status that is that is where we all try to get in australian life to get shorter the bomb has gotten there (laughs) and i I just couldn't help laughing when tanya Plibersek, who's as you know the environment minister but the bomb comes under her her portfolio um she said australians will make up their own minds about what they call the bureau of meteorology Uh, (laughs) um it's ridiculous for the bomb to be talking about rebranding so uh yeah mic drop moment there from Tanya. But look, it wasn't just uh, Elfie, was it uh, uh, about the inappropriateness timing-wise or just kind of vibe-wise of the rebrand? We we learned some stuff about the bomb this week too, didn't we?
1: Yes, absolutely. So what was pointed out rather quickly was that the name change, at least the attempted name change, was possibly symptomatic of bigger issues that were happening at the Bureau of Meteorology. So there was a fantastic piece that was published in the Saturday paper this week by journalist Rick Morton who investigated exactly what was going on at the Bureau. Now, let's call it that, why not? Let's give it a little (laughs) run around. But basically, um, Rick Morton was reporting on the huge loss of staff that have left the media and communications division of the bomb in the past 18 months. Um, He talked about the huge amount of money that have been put into this. It seems fairly clear that there is a widespread issue at the Bureau of Meteorology, especially in terms of how they're treating meteorologists themselves. They're closing down divisions across states and territories and have now centralised, and it all just seems like a bit of a giant mess. So this does go far beyond the name itself, and I believe that there are going to be Senate estimates hearings about what has been happening at the bomb shortly to come. So this is going to be an unfolding news story and I really think that it is one of those things that does make you reflect on just generally how Australia treats its scientific institutions and I think it'll be really fascinating to see what comes out of this and whether or not the staff who have been there start to be treated a little bit better
0: yeah and you know i guess my final word would be that the 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 poor prints of the previous government are to some extent there through the the ceo and director andrew johnson um he was a an appointee in 2016 i believe um and he's a scientist I, i wouldn't call andrew johnson a climate denier nothing like that but but um, he had a lot of friends in the previous government whom we might categorise uh, very loosely as climate unfriendly.
1: Mm.
0: And I don't think the bomb has been as climate friendly in many ways as it might have been. There has been evidence unearthed that uh, the words climate change are not to be used in certain communications, uh, not to be used by sort of duty forecasters, which is what yeah. the average sort of bomb employee giving you a forecast. Um, so there are cultural issues there. Uh, these are exposed this week. It's an interesting story, just sociologically, uh, and you know, marketing perspective, but there is very much an environmental perspective to it, which is what we're talking to, uh, which is why we're talking about this story, which is, have we, the Australian public who pay the taxes of everyone who works at the bomb, uh, have we been given enough climate information with our weather on a day-to-day basis? We'll find out with those uh, hearings
1: yeah very very interesting okay Moving on, let's talk about the Rewiring Australia plan and what is happening with it. So we thought we would just give you a little bit of an update on what the Albanese government is actually doing right now. So for those of you who remember, there was the Albanese government plan to rewire Australia, basically making it more friendly for renewables. Uh that was launched at the end of last year and now it seems like everything is kind of just kicking off, like the funding is actually being allocated. So Ant, do you mind walking me through what we are seeing and the sort of projects that are actually being funded by that cash?
0: Well, I'm excited, Elfie, by the Marinas link. Um, and that's going to be a connection between Tasmania and Victoria, which is, you know, absolutely fantastic. Um, it, it We know that Tassie um, has essentially 100% renewables, uh, mostly because of all the hydro over there. Mm. Um it could get up to 200 percent um and it could distribute all that extra energy to the mainland so that is very very exciting um now uh, some of that will will rely also on um offshore uh wind i believe uh although there are concerns about that aren't there elfie i think bob brown had a little had a little uh uh you know spoke out this week about a giant wind project uh that's going to be uh, built, uh I, Is it on an island or just off an island? Anyway, it's just off the Tassie coast. Uh, He's worried about the birds, isn't he?
1: Yeah, yeah. So he has expressed concern about this particular wind project a couple of times. I think it went back to like 2019 when this was sort of initially being planned. But he said that, you know, it could impact um, native endangered bird species, whether or not it does. I haven't actually looked into that data yet about wind farms yet. I know that there is some concern about that. But, you know, equally, the news about this investment in these projects has also been greeted by a lot of environmental organisations with actually a lot of enthusiasm because they've said that, you know, Tasmania's ability to create and distribute all of this power to the mainland is going to be a huge part of Australia's renewables kind of jigsaw puzzle. So, Mm. yes, Bob Brown, you may well have some concerns and it would be very interesting to read up on the actual impact. But for the moment, it just seems like some exciting stuff is happening with rewiring Australia. Another chunk of the cash, Ant, is actually going towards Victoria's offshore wind industry. Do you remember when we covered that a little while ago and exactly how much energy was going to be produced by these offshore wind farms?
0: I have a feeling you're about to tell me, but what did shock me at the time was that we didn't have offshore wind. And there might be some people who listen to the pod and go, how how could you not know that? Well, it just just seemed to me like something we kind of should have or should have had as part of our mix. I was absolutely stunned to learn that Australia has no offshore wind project. So you tell me how much. uh... Oh,
1: God. No, I didn't actually write the number down.
0: It's a lot though, isn't it? It was
1: a lot. It was a huge amount of energy. It was just wild because like off the coast of Victoria down south, there is so much wind in that ocean. Like it is a particularly harsh and severe part of the ocean that's pushing all this wind around. And basically there are wind farms that are going to crop up there that are going to replace Victoria's coal plants, especially when you think about, uh, you know, Loy Yang A, which we spoke about a couple of weeks ago, closing a decade earlier than thought uh these wind farms are going to step in and actually cover the grid in that respect so yeah it's happening
0: it is and it's great and the the weather nerd inside me well he doesn't really live inside me I think he lives on the outside of (laughs) (laughs) me.
1: aren't you just the weather nerd I don't think that there is like an alter ego here (laughs) Uh,
0: but that that person wants to talk about the uh, natural enormous wind funnel that is Bass Strait the ah, you know, body yes. of water between uh, Tasmania and, and, and Victoria because you've got sort of got this system of storms that run around the globe all year long at that latitude but they sort of get funneled and made extra strong as they go through Bass Strait so it is a natural spot for wind farms so let's see what happens there but it's good that Australia is being rewired given that we have a rewiring Australian program so onward <laughs>
1: Yeah, absolutely. All right, Ant, flooding. We've got to get back into this no, because look, this is another headline story this week. Can you tell me what's going
0: on? Look, um, I'm, I'm I'm mindful that I don't want to make a pod that lasts uh, 27 hours. Um, <laughs> so, but, but there has been flooding in Queensland over the weekend. There was flooding in South Australia. There was flooding last week and the week before in Tasmania and Victoria. There is flooding in New South Wales from the northern rivers to the sort of outback regions on the Darling River. There is flooding bloody everywhere. That's your headline. Um, Where all of these, um, almost all of the rivers are flooding, all flow into the Murray-Darling Basin. Mm. Um, You know, the Murray-Darling Basin is the size of Spain and France combined. It is a vast area into which most of the rivers that are flooding at the moment flow. Is that
1: true? It's the size of Spain and France? Yes, wow it's a
0: big area so so many rivers flow into the Murray and as I say they're almost all flooding um Echuca's copying it as we know in Victoria at the moment mm-hmm. uh now they've just gotten higher than the the 93 flood they may get yet higher than the 1916 flood that'd make it you know the biggest flood in a 100 years um it's it's you know, it's not quite unprecedented, but in terms of the single height at any one location, but in terms of the geographical uh, area, the wideness, just the huge area covered by these floodwaters, uh, that really is something um, that we haven't seen before. Look, anyway, we've talked about this from a climate perspective before. We've talked about how a warmer atmosphere. Uh, and warmer oceans, there was a study we looked at this week, wasn't there, Elfie? that, that um, in, in one of the nature journals um, that, that talked about parts of the ocean are, are, have warmed by as much as two degrees. And that's, you know, we've seen the Coral Sea be more than a degree above uh, normal for must, much of the last 12 months. All of this with the La Nina, bringing the winds on from there, make these strong systems more likely to be stronger. Anyway, but let's talk about the rivers themselves today. I spoke uh, for our interview this week with Matt Herring. Now, we had a chat to Matt earlier this year about flooding uh, on the uh, Murrumbidgee in January. Um, Matt runs a consultancy. He's an ecologist, but he runs a consultancy called murraywildlife.com.au. Absolutely fascinating fella. He actually works with farmers, helping them farm sustainably along the Murray and similar rivers. Um, He knows about the ecology... Of our river systems there's nothing he doesn't know about the murray river so here am i looking at the murray being inundated with rivers from all angles and i thought i just need to speak to matt herring the listeners need to hear from matt herring i pretty much just made it an open interview and said matt what's going on at the murray river what can you tell us so let's roll the interview well matt herring um Wildlife ecologist and uh, Murray Darling Basin guru, I think it's fair to say. Have you ever seen so much rain in the Murray Darling Basin?
2: Gee, that's a good question. Um, there, there have been some major floods over my career, um, you know, perhaps 10 years ago, especially um, at the end of the millennium drought, but geez, across the board, it's it's hard for me to think of a time uh,
0: where, the, where the flooding was this widespread land And so it's not just the Murray River itself. Uh, well, it, it's all of the tributaries. Um, and, and, and usually you'd get the rain maybe on the Goulburn River and the Campaspe and that side, the Victorian side, which we got in spades a couple of weeks ago. Or maybe you'd get it from the Darling River up north. Well, we've had a heap of rain in that area around Burke and places like that. Or maybe you'd get it from the Murrumbidgee, the Lachlan. Those rivers are also flooding. It seems to me that we've had uh, rain from every single angle possible. And, uh, you know, we we might never have seen an event like this. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think that's what
2: separates it from some of the other you know, flooding events that we've had over you know recent decades it's that it is you know across the board and you know I feel like everyone is really on a fairly steep learning curve when it when it comes to um, not just this natural flooding but also the the man-made floods that we you know that we're looking to um, employ, you know, through the use of environmental water, I mean, it's such a regulated system that uh, you know that we live in in, in the Murray Darling, and it really is so complex the way water moves through different um, river systems, like you mentioned, and all the regulation around towns all the dams. It really is; uh, it's not a simple thing. This uh, water resource
0: management. Okay, but back in January when we spoke. Um, It was a joyous conversation and you had posted a series of joyous tweets showing a wetland come to life. Well, that wetland's been alive all year now. Um, A lot of other wetlands beside it. Um, Let's talk about the actual health of of, uh, the river. First of all, in simple terms, uh, can there be too much water? Can there be too much good health for the river? And um, what comes next? (laughs) That's another great question. And,
2: um, look, generally speaking, there's no two ways about it. This is boom time. This is fantastic for all the things that depend on rivers and wetlands, from the frogs to the water birds to the to the water plants. It really is a wonderful, um, you know, set of Lenina events that we're living through. Uh, but there is a downside, and one example that I can give you is Um, Out there, you know, at the end of the bidgie around um, Ranald, we have some really nice sites where there's tall spike rush normally growing. Um, It gets about two metres high and provides great nesting habitat for swamp hens and crakes and bitterns and bell frogs. And it's really good habitat. But because the water has been so deep, spike rush in a lot of areas or certainly some areas has failed to establish so there is a downside uh, I guess you could say to to these major floods and of course some animals get stuck on sand hills and in other areas and they can't feed you know we've seen lots of dead roos for example in some areas but they are exceptions and rather than the norm. The norm is that this is a wonderful boom time, despite all the damage to property and people's lives for wildlife and biodiversity across the basin. This is a time of celebration.
0: That's beautifully said. And and before we let you go, I know there is that other side of your business. Well, it's it's the mainstay of your business. You are, are a consultant to to landholders and farmers along, along our big rivers. Um, helping them farm in a more sustainable way and so on. Um, what, what What's some good news, or perhaps some bad news, perhaps, uh, you know, too, some farms have seen too much rain now, but, but um, uh, for example, are we going to see an end to the water wars for a while? Uh, tell me some good news about, about this rain, or, or at least in general terms, what it means for people on the land. Well, look, you can always make money from mud, uh, they say. Hmm. Um, I mean, it only seems like yesterday
2: that you know we were, you know, in in, in the middle of a, a devastating drought, I and mean, it was only three years ago.
0: I mean, fish kills, fish kills was seemed to be in the in the in the news every week, didn't they? That's
2: right. That's right. So. Look, again, I think we're all on a steep learning curve. What seems to be emerging is that the peaks and troughs of of our weather events associated um, with climate change are stronger. Um, so I think for farmers, adapting to that is a real challenge. Um, but like irrigators, for example, now there's a lot of um, security going forward with water allocations over the next um, year or two they would be looking you know really quite um, positive but certainly in the short term yeah, there's been a lot of damage to um, people's winter crops that they were looking to harvest uh, soon and even preparing for summer crops now it's very difficult to get machine on the ground to get those those crops in. But uh, I think people would prefer this situation to a, a devastating drought. Uh, and y- you know, there's, there's still so much to learn, like I say,
0: All right, well, Matt, thanks so much for talking to The Green Canary today. We love your insights into the whole Murray-Darling Basin. Uh, we love the fact that you came on and gave us some time at what I'm sure is a busy time for you. And uh, Matt Herring from Murray Wildlife. That's the name of your consultancy, isn't it? Uh, Thanks again. Uh, You're welcome, man. Anytime. Cheers.
1: All right. That was brilliant. Thank you so much for bringing that to us this week. And I think it's really interesting how you sort of bring up the option between drought on the Murray and absolute flooding on the Murray. It gets to this point where you're like, is there not an option in between these two things anymore? And apparently it seems like it doesn't feel that way, you know?
0: That's what he said, didn't he? Um, You know, it's it's exactly right. We're all craving the middle ground. We all just want a a summer's day of 28 degrees where nothing's happening. But we just seem to get one extreme or or the next. And perhaps that's the new normal. Uh, That was a very strong point that came through from from Matt. But, um, you know, I was pleased. To hear him say that overall, although there are some like the spike rush isn't 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 growing well because there's too much water, but overall, when you look at fish and frogs and birds and so on, it's a mostly good story. So that's a good. Yeah,
1: idea. yeah, absolutely. And you know what? At least something good is coming out of this because there's just been so much horror for so many people over the past couple of weeks, and we really hope that that lifts over the coming days because it's just been brutal in some it of has. these communities anyway all right let's move on to our mulch for the week we should probably skip through this because unfortunately and and i have talked at each other far too much so far so we're going to do this quickly all right and let's talk about the state of electric vehicles in australia the electric vehicle council has released a report on how many australians are actually buying evs now um Basically, it's jumped quite a lot. So it's jumped 65% since 2021, which sounds great in theory, but that's still only 3.39% of all vehicle sales. So basically the council are now saying, that Australia has to introduce more ambitious fuel efficiency standards to try and get electric vehicles in here, make them more accessible and reduce emissions from transport. Because this is ridiculous that we are still sitting at such a low percentage of overall vehicles sold.
0: 3.39 is not big. Uh, I think Norway's at about 99% or something.
1: Jesus, are you serious?
0: Yeah, yeah, Norway's the world leader in this. So, oh, wow,
1: um, there you go. Yeah,
0: Norway, we're getting there quickly, but fuck uh,
1: man, god damn it!
0: <laughs> I'm so sorry, but we'll, uh, we'll, yeah, we're we're not getting there quickly because we're all oh, slow. Yeah, anyway, uh, as, <laughs> <laughs> we're trying Why to. Why do you the-
1: like this? All right, go onto the wildfire story because all right, I, anyway, I can't deal with it, the puns anymore.
0: Is, yeah, and look, by the way, before we do, just. Go and listen to our poll, everybody. Two weeks ago, we spoke to people from the Good Car Company there in Tasmania, and they are bringing cheap EVs to Australia. So mm-hmm. we talk about this bloody low 3.39% uh, of all vehicle sales that EVs constitute, but these guys are doing their bit to make it high, a lot higher, a lot quicker. Anyway, all right, wildfire emission study. I love that you found this, Elfie. This is a fascinating um story that you found you comb the journals I just imagine you nerdily sitting at home if you think I'm a weather nerd
1: (laughs) I do do not comb the journals it's okay don't worry
0: (laughs) you comb the journals just admit it it. be be the person you are um be the orange wearing person uh who combs journals now Elfie um this is a uh, journal study um in a thing called Science Direct it looked at the emissions from wildfires blew my mind we're talking californian wildfires here and we know that i think in 3 of the last 4 northern summers they've had unbelievably severe uh Ca- californian wildfires um the, the the news shocked me they the emissions caused by the fires just one season the 2020 fires mm-hmm. were equivalent to the emissions that had been reduced by california uh in the previous 17 years so it's like all the good work they're doing um you know california is is going to only evs uh with new vehicle sales in 2035 they're trying to transform the grid they're doing what they can but 17 years worth of programs to reduce emissions was wiped out in just one summer of wildfires so it was an absolutely uh, fascinating um, study and uh, it kind of shows that we need uh, climate action now, doesn't
1: it? Yeah, very, very much so. My God. Okay. And speaking of some climate action now, this is interesting. The Albanese government have finally confirmed that they will be committing to the methane pledge to reduce emissions by 30%. This decade, it has happened. You know, we spoke about this, was it last week or the week before? I have no sense of time anymore. No, it was last week. And, oh, and really? again,
0: again, we should point people to our pod because we, we spoke with beef farmer Rob McCreeth. Love Rob, love his work. He told us all about what farmers are already doing, which is lots, and what they can do, which is also lots, uh, to, to reduce the methane output of their herd. So um, it's absolutely... This methane pledge, it's a global methane pledge. We are now going to sign up to it, uh, joining 120 other countries. It is something we can do in a meaningful way.
1: Yes, fantastic. I love to see it. And I think that... COP27, hopefully we'll have some better announcements than perhaps COP26 last year. We'll find out. All right. Before we head off today, we would like to acknowledge as ever the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to Elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded.
0: Thank you, Elfie. Well said as ever. And I'd just like to uh, violently threaten you all oh, that if you don't follow <laughs> us on Twitter, uh, something terrible uh, may befall you. We are at Green Canary Pod on Twitter. We are at Green Canary Media on Instagram. And you should probably subscribe, having heard the threat I just issued, to our newsletter as well. Just email hello at thegreencanary.co and you will get Australia's chirpiest, most informative weekly green newsletter into your inbox I really don't think you can call yourself a canaria unless you're newslettering and potting. and Elfie like the big orange I think we're done
1: <laughs> great segue all right bye everyone
0: see you next time bye